Lord Jesus, we like to open ourselves up to you. Thank you for gathering us here in Champaign. Lord, that we could become your age turners. We consider this a marvelous and landmark gathering. Accomplish all that is in your heart. We pray even for tonight's speaking. Call us, even as you called Noah, and even as you called Moses. Gain young people just like that. We give ourselves again to you. We open up to you. Bless this speaking, Lord. Amen. Well, saying standing here in front of you, it's quite overwhelming that the Lord has gathered together so many young people to be God's age turners. I believe if Brother Lee were here, he would be beside himself. To have such an opportunity to be able to address so many young people. Unfortunately, our brother is not with us anymore. He passed on a baton to some of us, and we are doing our best to pass on to the young generation all that the Lord has opened up. You know, it was in sometime in the 1930s, maybe early 40s, Brother Nee gave a series of messages that were published in a book called The Glorious Church. At the end of that speaking, the last part of that book, there's an appendix. And in that appendix, Brother Nee opens up the matter of God's dispensational moves. And even as Brother Mark mentioned last night, in one of the outline points, he mentioned that there's dispensational moves that God needs to make, and every dispensational move needs an instrument, a dispensational instrument. And then finally it says that we must be those that have dispensational value to God at the end of this age. You see, you could be a really good Christian, You could be a very proper Christian and yet have no dispensational value to God. In the series that we're going to be covering in the evenings, beginning tonight, we're going to be examining some examples of men who had dispensational value to God. And because they had dispensational value to God, God was able to use them to turn the age. Tonight we're going to look at Noah. And we're going to look at Moses, two very classic examples of men who turned the age. As we go through these characters, these persons in the Old and the New Testament, what we want to do is we want to focus on particular characteristics and experiences of these ones so that we can learn from them how to live today, what we should focus on, and how we could become Those kind of persons that have dispensational value to God. Very strange. Seems so long ago. I was only like six years old when this happened. But in 1957, Brother Lee picked up this same burden. And in a small gathering of young people in Hong Kong, he released two more messages on this matter. Published in a book, The Men Who Turn the Age. 
And in the first chapter, he speaks of the need for men to turn the age. And in the second chapter, second message, he speaks about the characteristics of the men who turn the age. Well, saints, here we are, very close to the end of this age. And there's a desperate need for men who will turn the age. There's a need for this. And the Lord has come here, and he's calling young people to be his age turners. Are you ready? You want to be those? Oh, we want to be those. When Brother Nee spoke about this, he said this. We live in the most privileged time. We can do the most for God. Can you believe that? That we live in the most privileged time of all human history. We can do the most for God. He went on to say, light will show us the way, but strength and power will enable us to walk the way. A great price must be paid in order to be used today. May the Lord open us, touch us, and cause us to be those that are willing to pay the price to be used by Him at this time. Uh, before I go on, I was supposed to remind you all to turn off your phones and your tablets so that there's no interruption in the signal to the, other, uh, to the overflow room. So maybe if you didn't do that already, please do that now as we go on. Uh, I need to stay with the outline or else we will definitely run out of time tonight. And I want to make sure that there's plenty of time for you all to respond, okay? Uh, there's some very precious things that we need to open up. So let me start by reading through the outline. Well, let me, let me read this. Uh, the title is Age Turners in the Old Testament. Noah and Moses. One, Noah's life was one that changed the age. You want to be Noah? You want to be a Noah today? Oh, in 1975, Brother Lee spoke about the family of Noah. Oh, that was so inspiring to me. Noah had a family. This was an extraordinary family, not, not like your everyday American family. This was a family that had a vision that raised their children under this vision and built an ark to end the age. Noah's life was one that changed the age. With Noah, you see two things. He had a life and he had a work. His life was a life that turned the age and he did a work that turned the age. What kind of life is this? Let's examine a little bit. What is a life, what kind of life should we have, a life that can turn the age? A says, a life of knowing the age and the present revelation of God. You know, there's a, a verse in Romans 13, verse 11 and 12, it says this. Romans 13, 11 and 12. And this, knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to be raised from sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far advanced and the day has drawn near. Let us therefore put off the works of darkness and let us put on the weapons of light. He says, and this, knowing the time. 
Dear Saints, do you know what time it is? Last night, Brother Mark said, using the midnight as an example that the Lord used, do you know what time it is? You know, we're not in the beginning of the church age any longer. We're not in the first century with the apostles. We're not even at the time of the Reformation when God began to move again in his people in a prevailing way. Nor are we at the time of Zinzendorf or the brethren. We're not even at the time of the Lord's up-to-date recent move in China to raise up the local churches beginning in 1922. Saints, that's almost a hundred years ago. We're in the closing moments of the church age. The church age is nearly over. It's well past 1130. Time is short. I want to read to you. In fact, it's in your handbook, page 83. Turn to the first paragraph of the excerpts. I want to read this paragraph to you because I think it will convey the spirit of this point. We all need to know what age we are in, what the present revelation is from God, where we should be. Do you know where you should be? What we should do. Do you know what to do? Oh, tonight we're going to fellowship about where you need to be and what you need to do. And what flow we should enter into. Time is short and the day of the Lord's second coming is approaching We must no longer be drugged by the religious things. We need to wake up to see where we should be and what we should do. This is a serious matter. Recently in the news, you hear about Russia threatening its neighbors, Ukraine and other countries. You hear about the massive buildup, military buildup in China. You hear about Iran getting a nuclear weapon. Israel. Greece financially on the brink of disaster. Do you know that every one of these countries I just named are in the prophecies in the Bible and Revelation concerning the end of the age? You realize that the whole world situation is being prepared for a great Messiah to come, Antichrist. That's going to solve a number of problems. Everyone will worship him. We're right at the edge. We need to know what age we're in. We need to know what the present revelation is from God. We need to know where we should be what we should do, what flow we should enter into. We shouldn't be befuddled by the age, distracted, drugged, doped, stupefied by the current age. We have to know. We need to be clear. We need to be sober. We need to be alert. Coming back to the outline, it goes on. What kind of a life is a life that Changes the age. Number one, God showed Noah the true situation of the corrupt age in which he lived. Let me read um, from Genesis chapter 6 to you. I think the word of God is much better than what I could say. 
Chapter 6, verse 1 says this. And when men began to multiply on the surface of the ground, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were fair, and they took wives for themselves from all whom they chose. The sons of God in Genesis chapter 6, verse 2, are the fallen rebellious angels that followed Satan in his rebellion. What they did is they came down and they took human bodies, possessed them, and committed unspeakable immorality with human females. Fornication, unimaginable, unspeakable, to defile and corrupt humanity. In Genesis 3, God had promised that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. And now... Humanity is being corrupted and defiled with fallen angels, mixed mixture, corrupting humanity and spreading it. Verse 3, and Jehovah said, my spirit will not strive with man forever, for he indeed is flesh, so his days will be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward. When the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them, these were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. Out of this mixed illegal marriage, this is the kind of expression Brother Lee gave it in the life city of Genesis. He called it illegal marriage. Marriage was never intended to be mixed like that. And in that kind of a situation, a super race was produced, Nephilim. They were the giants. They were uh, men of stature, men of renown. It says that this is what happened. They were on those, in those days. And it says, and also afterward, you remember when the children of Israel sent spies to spy out the land of Canaan and there were giants there that frightened the spies? How did that happen? It happened because the fallen angels came down and committed immorality with the females at that time. Verse 5, And Jehovah saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And Jehovah repented that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him in his heart. And Jehovah said, I will blot out the man whom I have created from the surface of the ground, from man to beast, to creeping things, to the birds of heaven, for I repent that I have made man, made them. Oh, what a serious thing. After God created man on the sixth day, he said, very good. But here, just how many chapters later, five chapters later, he repents because of the condition of fallen man. Later it says, the earth was corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence. So here you have this. You have immorality, unspeakable immorality, illegal marriage. You have violence. The earth was filled with violence. Have you seen violence like today? Absolute chaotic violence. Things that are hard to talk about. You see it on the news and you can hardly, you have to turn away. You have to look away. It's too disturbing. When the Lord Jesus was speaking about his coming back, he said, 
that is coming would be like the days of Noah. That means the days of Noah were going to come back. And that would be a sign to the believers that when the age had become like that, that's the time of his coming. Do you know what age we're in, saints? We are in the days of Noah. There's no question that we are in the days of Noah. But in such a situation, in such a dark situation, well, before we go on to that, there's a, there's a really good verse I, I just can't wait to get to. It's the one you were, you were citing, 6-8. But wait, hold on a minute. For, uh, point two says, we must overcome the stupefying effect of man's living today. I want to read you a note. This is from Luke chapter 17, verse 26. Talking about the Lord's coming, the Lord prophesying about his coming. And he says, and even as it happened in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. The days of Noah, footnote 26, footnote 2, says this, The conditions of evil living that stupefied the generation of Noah before the deluge, the flood, and the generation of Lot before the destruction of Sodom, portray the perilous condition of man's living before the Lord's parousia and the great tribulation. To participate in the overcomer's rapture, that we may enjoy the Lord's parousia and escape the great tribulation, we must overcome the stupefying effect of man's living today. See, one of the striking things when the Lord was prophesying about his coming back, he said just in Matthew 24, and just as it was in the days of Noah, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. And then he goes on, in those days, what? For as they were in those days before the flood, eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day in which Noah entered the ark, and they did not know that judgment was coming until the flood came and took all away, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man be. You see, it came as a surprise. The judgment shocked them. They never expected it. They never dreamt that it could happen that a flood would come and take them away. Even Noah had been preaching the gospel for 120 years, and they didn't get it. They didn't hear it. Saints, there's a reason why they couldn't hear it, because they were stupefied. The age had this kind of an effect on them to cause them to lose their sober mind and to only be concerned about what was popular, what was politically correct, what was approved, what everybody would like. They, they were only caring for the external things. They were drugged, doped, stupefied by that kind of world. Today, the whole age is in a stupor. You have to know this. You have to realize this. It may be even that we are. We are not awake. We're, we're still a little foggy. We're still too, too concerned about making money about getting that job or getting that position or, or excelling in this thing. And we know about the movie stars. We know what movies are coming out. We know what are the hit songs. 
But we don't know that judgment is coming. We know about Caitlyn Jenner. But we don't know judgment is coming. We know this. We know that. We're distracted. Stupefied. The age will do that. The age will do that because the age has a certain influence. A certain emphasis. Pushing on us. Pushing on us. Accept this. Open to this. Get this. Causing everybody to become in a stupor. So you tell them the truth. They can't, they can't even understand it. They can't receive it. You have to wake up. Wake up. Young people, we have to wake up. Tonight I'd like to tell you, wake up. Don't be in a stupor. Don't be caught by that. That trend of the age. So point two says this. We must overcome the stupefying effect of man's living today. Okay, so now the second point of what kind of life inherits the God. I mean, what kind of life can turn the age? And it is this. It's a life that inherits the godly ways of the forefathers. Oh, I love this point, brothers and sisters. Young people. We have to inherit the godly ways of the forefathers. Noah, it tells us, walked with God. How did Noah walk with God? His great-grandfather Enoch walked with God and was taken. He must have learned something from that previous generation. Something precious was passed to him through his parents, through his grandparents. A heritage, a rich heritage was handed down from generation to generation. What did Noah do? Noah, what did he do? He inherited Adam's way of salvation. Redemption, the skins. He got into the skins. He inherited Abel's way of sacrificing. Offering Christ to God to please God. What did Noah do when he came out of the ark? He built an altar there. And he offered Christ to God. How did he learn this? He learned this from Abel. Abel died for that. And, and Noah got it. Noah got it. How he got it? He had godly forefathers passing on the godly ways. And then Enosh. Men began to call on the name of Jehovah. Enosh. Realizing he's weak, fragile, mortal. He could die any minute. He could, he could drop dead just like that. Realizing that, what does he do? He calls, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, I can't stand. I can't work. I can't do. I can't study. I need you. Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord Jesus. He was the first one to call on the name of Jehovah. What a godly way. Have you learned this godly way of the forefathers? Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus! Lord Jesus! Lord Jesus! Can you make it through a day without calling? Can you do that? Can you study without calling? Can you face the situation of this age without calling on that name? Lord Jesus! Noah inherited calling on the name of Jehovah. 
How about that? And then it says Noah walked with God. He, he learned that from Enoch. I mentioned that already. What is, what is walking with God? You know what walking with God is? It's offering, it's putting on Christ as your covering. Not being naked. It's offering Christ to God for God's satisfaction. It's calling on the name of the Lord. Depending on Him entirely. That's walking with God. That's Noah. And now, but you have, what you have here now is a good Noah. A very well proper Noah. But you don't have an age turner yet. Are you inheriting the godly ways of your forefathers? One of the things that some of us in the older generation are so worried about, really, really concerned about, is that you'll learn the forms, you'll learn the practices, but you won't know the godly ways. Calling on the Lord may become a form to us. Pray reading. You know, in 1967, when this matter of calling and pray reading was recovered, in a prevailing way on the whole earth, we really touched something. We touched the spirit of pray reading. We found out that we had a spirit. We found out a simple way to contact the Lord. This name has been on my lips for 45 years. Can't go a day without calling on this name. I can't. Pray reading His Word. Young people don't like to pray read. Well, there's something about pray reading that we have to figure it out. All the godly men before us, Martin Luther, so many before us, that's what they did. They pray read the Word. Now, I'm not encouraging you, trying to exhort you to pray read the Word. I'm telling you, you have to figure this out. This is one of those godly ways that you, we cannot afford to let it go. We can't drop it. Brother Lee said this in some message near the end of his life. He said, all the messages that I have given through all these years came to me in this way. What way was he talking about? He was talking about calling on the name of the Lord and pray reading. Okay, I better move faster. Well, maybe one last thing. And this is not a funny plug. This is not a, a light comment. But a serious and sober word from my heart. You want to know how to inherit the godly ways of the forefathers. You should really come to the full-time training. That is an intensified dose of the godly ways of the forefathers. This is how you become an age turner. Please, I beg you, pray, consider, don't put it off. Don't say, oh, the Lord's not leading me. Your people will offer themselves willingly. That's what it says. It's not a question of the Lord's leading. It's a question of your offering. 
Point C, a life, Noah's life, a life that changed the age, is a life that found grace in the sight of Jehovah. Grace is God coming to us to be our life supply, our strength, and our everything to enable us to overcome the flesh and to live a righteous life to change the age. So much, so much here to talk about. 1978, I think it was, when Brother Lee released the Life Study of no, no, yeah, Life Study of Exodus. Uh, I'm sorry, Genesis. He came to this verse, and he was using the King James version, where it says, "And Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord." In the New Recovery Version, it says, "And Noah found favor in the sight of Jehovah." He gave a whole message on finding grace. This is really a marvelous message. And I wondered, what's the difference? Finding favor means that God looked at Noah and God was happy with him, right? Found favor. That word favor in Hebrew can be translated grace or favor. The King James said, Noah found grace in the eyes of Jehovah. Okay, I wish I had another person up here with me. Maybe I do. Come here, Dennis. When you're talking about eyes, there's two parties. This is Jehovah, okay? Noah found grace in the eyes of Jehovah. My eyes are on you. I can't stand this age. I can't face this situation. I can't raise a family here. This situation is too dark, too upsetting, too disturbing. I need his eyes. I'm finding grace. And when I'm looking at his eyes, I'm beholding him. Grace is being infused into me. I'm getting a dispensing of God himself as grace to me. And as God, Jehovah, is looking at Noah, finding grace, that makes Jehovah very happy. (laughs) He says, I have a man on the earth that knows where grace is. Thank you. Later, it tells us in Hebrews 4 that we need to come forward with boldness to the throne of grace. The eyes of Jehovah is the throne of grace. What are we going to do about this situation today? There's nothing we can do, but there is somewhere we can go. We go to the throne of grace. Every morning, you know, we have this morning watch session with the trainee with the trainees we're burdened young people not just for one week of morning revival we want to teach you how to find grace in the eyes of jehovah how to go there again and again to face the situation you know why grace came grace came because of the flesh it was quite a shock to us At that time, the whole earth had become flesh. And when there's a situation of the flesh, that is when grace comes. You might wonder, Lord, I thought after I got saved, you would take away the flesh. These lusts are so terrible. The anger is so horrible. On the freeway, I'm such a madman. I I hate everybody. And within, there's lust and there's... Oh, the flesh is such a pain. 
It's such a burden. He says, yeah, I know. I left it there so that you would pursue me to be grace to you. If you didn't have the flesh, you probably would not come to the throne of grace so much. Let me read you a definition of grace. Grace is God Himself enjoyed by us in helping us to face the situation of the flesh. You want to be an age turner. You've got to get out of this age by coming to the throne of grace again and again. I wish there was more time to spend there. Let's come to Noah's work. Noah's work was a work that changed the age. What did Noah do? Basically, Noah did two things. He preached the gospel and he built the ark. He was a herald of righteousness and he built the ark according to the, the standard. A, his work was one that of believing and practicing the further revelation received from God, the vision of the age and the ministry of the age, in order to build the ark, the church, as the corporate Christ. These points are so full. While Noah was walking with God. And while God was happy with him. Now the age turner comes. God opened up his heart to him. And revealed the secrets that were within him. Wouldn't you like God to open up his heart to you? Don't you want him to tell you the secrets that are inside of him? His longing, his desire, his purpose. While Noah had inherited the godly ways of the forefathers, and while Noah was walking with God, and God was happy with him, God opened up his heart. Young people, we have to be like this. We have to be these kind of people. We walk with him. We call on him. We contact him. We're finding grace. And as we're walking with him, oh, he goes, oh, there's one of my age turners. I think I'm going to open up my heart to him. I'm going to tell him what I'm going to do. I'm going to let him know the secrets that are going on inside of me. You know, the Lord is looking, longing. His eyes are on the whole earth for people like this. Young people like this. That he could open up his heart to. And Noah then, what did he get? He got the vision of the age. You realize that in every age, there's a vision of that age. And there's a ministry of that age. Do you think that at Noah's time, he was the only person that loved God, pursued God, maybe even called on God? I don't believe that. They all had the same forefathers, except for the ones that came from Cain. They all had the same godly forefathers. There must have been thousands who in some manner practiced some of those things. But the Bible tells us that Noah was alone did God find righteous in that generation. Noah was entrusted with the vision of that age. You know, um, late 80s, Maybe early 90s. Brother Lee had a talk with the serving ones, serving in the, middle, in the Living Stream Ministry office. He was burdened about this. 
He said, you know, you're my helpers. You volunteer. You serve here. You help with the shipping, the packing, the audio, the video, doing so much for the Lord's move, for his recovery on the whole earth. But he said, I'm concerned for you. You might be one of Noah's helpers, helping him to build the ark, but you never got in it. You were around it. You were there. You, you saw it go up. You saw it being built, but you never got in. He said, do you think that Noah, along with his three sons, could build such a structure as that? There's no way. No way four men could build that. They had to get help. They had to hire someone, maybe some volunteers. Young people, are you going to be a volunteer? Are you going to be a helper? Are you going to be a... You're going to get in. You've got to get in. When the flood comes, you've got to be in the ark. <clears throat> you might be a God seeker. You might be powerful. You might study the Bible. You might be very eloquent. But you need to know who has the vision of the age. And you need to follow and get into the ministry of that age to be up to date. Point B, his work was that of a righteous man and a herald of righteousness who preached righteousness. This word righteousness or righteous is mentioned a number of times related to Noah. He was a righteous man. Do you know how, how he got righteous? You might think, oh man, there's no way. There's no way for me. I mean, I, I don't even like that word righteous because it always just makes me feel so uncomfortable. I don't know. Do you like that word righteous? Like righteousness and righteous? But I got to love that word. You know why? I figured out how righteousness comes. Righteousness, first of all, is like this. It comes from grace. Grace is God dispensing himself into us. And this grace, as it comes into us and is dispensed into us, produces faith in us. Through the transfusion, the infusion of God as grace, we have the ability to believe and respond. That's faith. And that faith is counted as righteousness. That's how Noah became righteous. And we too. Noah was a herald of righteousness. Young people, this should, this should define the rest of our days on this earth. Preaching the gospel and building the church. Preaching righteousness. Because nothing in this age is righteous. Point C, his work was that of, a, of building the ark according to God's revelation by faith to usher in the new age. The ark is a type of Christ, not only the individual Christ, but also the corporate Christ, the church, which is the body of Christ and the new man. The building of the ark typifies the building of the corporate Christ, the church, with the element of Christ's riches as the building material by those who work together with God. Oh, there's so much, no time. By building the ark and entering into it, Noah was not only saved from God's judgment on the evil generation through the flood, but was also separated from the generation and ushered into a new age, separated from that generation. For Noah to preach righteousness, you know what he was preaching? 
he was preaching, get in the ark. Get in the ark. Get into Christ. Get into Christ. Put him on. Get out of yourself. Get out of the world. Get out of where you are and get into Christ. We believe into him. Christ is the ark. What Noah did is he built the ark. Are you building? Are you a building member? Two aspects. Inwardly, we need to allow the Lord to build himself in us. That Christ may make his home in your heart through faith. Allow him to build himself into every chamber, every little nook and cranny of your heart. Every secret chamber, every avenue, your future. Lord, build yourself into my dreams for the future. Lord, build yourself into my marriage, into my future marriage, into my plans. Build yourself into every part of my heart. As he's building himself into you, he's building the ark. How does the ark get built? The ark is built by young people, you and me, opening ourselves up to him and allowing him to make his home in our hearts through faith. Building himself, building himself. And you'll open up and you'll say, Lord, make your home in my heart concerning that relationship that I'm in right now. And just as you're about to say it, something within will say, no, no, don't do that. Don't do that. Oh, but you have to say, no, Lord, build yourself into that part of my heart that's lonely, that's hungry, that's seeking that. You be the one. You build yourself there. In John 14, 23, the Lord promised, If anyone loves me, my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make an abode with him. What a promise. We become his lovers. What else he'll do? He'll come and he'll build himself in you. This is the first aspect, inwardly, allowing him to make his home in your heart. Second aspect, prophesying builds the church. Speaking for the Lord. Speaking forth the Lord. Speaking the Lord into people is how the church is built up. It's a common thing. College students don't hardly make it to the Lord's table, Lord's, Lord's Day morning meeting. Maybe it's never been a habit. But if you're a Noah, you're a builder. And that's what builders do. They speak. They speak. Oh, you can speak. You can speak. Speak for the Lord. Speak forth the Lord. Speak the Lord into people. This is how the ark is built up. This ark saved Noah from two things. God's judgment was coming. The flood was coming. Whether there was an ark or not, a flood was coming. So the ark saved Noah from God's judgment. The higher God's judgment went, the more the ark soared. But that ark also saved Noah from that present evil age. That crooked and perverted generation. This ark, saints, today is the church life. The family of Noah is the church life. You need the church life. You need the home meetings, the small groups, the prayer meetings. You need the twos and threes. You need a church life. 
Not Sunday goers. Not going to church. Everybody goes to church. We don't go to church. We have a church life. This is a life of the family of Noah life. It's a life of churching. Churching. That will save you from this present age. Okay, we have to go on. Pastor. How about you all read Roman 3? Moses was born with the situation of the children of Israel in Egypt under Pharaoh's tyranny when God wanted to deliver the children of Israel out of bondage. This next phrase really troubles me. God had to wait until Moses had been fully prepared. In the Old Testament, there are three cities that describe the world. One is Egypt. One is Babel, and the third is Sodom. Sodom describes the world in its sinful, idolatrous, immoral condition. Babel describes the world as a land of idols in rebellion against God. And Egypt is the world of pleasure, the world of satisfaction. The children of Israel went down into Egypt because of their need to make a living, livelihood. We all find ourselves going in that direction. And eventually they got into slavery there. They were under Pharaoh's tyranny. Pharaoh's a type of Satan, and Egypt is a type of the world. And there was a need for a man to turn the age. And while the cry was going up to God, I have all these verses, and I just don't know how to spend my time. The situation was pretty intense in Egypt. They served with harshness. You get a job today, you're going to serve with harshness. You're going to be a slave. You're going to have to sell your soul. And the cry went up to God. This is what it says in Exodus 2, 23 to 25. And in the course of those many days, the king of Egypt died and the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage. And they cried out and their cry went up to God because of their bondage. And God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel and God took notice of them. This is what the situation is. The children of Israel crying to God, crying to God, save us, save us. Oh, God, rescue us, save us. And God is there. Oh, oh, my people, my people, they're, they're struggling, they're suffering. Look what's happening. They're being killed. The babies are being killed. Thrown in the river. The sons, the boys. The future is gone. It's eating up all the men. The cry is going up. God is oh, wanting to answer. But where's Moses? Where's the age turner? Where is the man who will turn the age? He's not born yet. And maybe he's born yet, but he's only 20 years old. God has to wait. The prepared one needs to be prepared. He needs to go through a kind of process. 
You know, in Noah, we see 120 years of the building of the ark. Seems like a long time. You got a vision in year one. What are you going to do? Maybe the first 20, 30 years, he's just growing gopher trees. Do you think there was that much gopher wood around? I don't know, but maybe he had to grow them. And then his sons come, and he's got to wait till his sons grow up. And now, oh, the clock is ticking. 120 years. What year are we in? What year are we in? Oh, we got 40 years to go. We haven't even built it yet. We're just cutting down the trees. You better hurry. Oh, the intensity. The urgency. The same thing was happening with, with Moses. The cry was going up. God was eager, but there was no Moses yet. Chapter 3 says this. This is when God was taking notice of them. God was ready to answer them. He was eager. He was, the people were desperate. God was eager. But Moses was Like that. It says this, Now Moses was shepherding the flock. There he was, taking care of lambs, taking care of the little lambs. That was the overcomer. That was the age turner. He wasn't ready yet. The people had to wait. God had to wait. Do you like to make God wait? 2,000 years ago, he said, behold, I come quickly. But he's waited. He's waited. Where's Moses? Where's Moses? Number one, in preparing the Savior, Moses, God firstly used the female life, the life that is wholly dependent on God. Billy brings out the life that began the process of Moses' preparation were all females. Moses' mother, Moses' sister, Pharaoh's daughter, Pharaoh's daughter's female slave, indicating a life that is fully dependent on the Lord. Moses, on the natural side, learned all the wisdom of the Egyptians in the first 40 years. Through his Egyptian education, Moses became highly cultured and received the highest learning of this world. Hence, he became mighty both in words and in deeds. This is what Acts 7 says. He became mighty. You know, I, this afternoon I was reading in Josephus, the histor, historian, and he tells story of how Moses led an army out and defeated an Ethiopian invasion that was trying to take over Egypt. Egypt was in luxury, too much money, too much wealth. The people were basically lazy. And every time an enemy came, they got defeated because the people didn't know how to fight. They didn't want to fight. But Moses led an army and defeated. He became a hero, a general, capable, strong, victorious. And then what did he do? It says when he grew up, he came out to do something for the Lord. You know, I believe his parents were telling him, you're an age turner. You're an age turner. You're going to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. You were born for this. You were bred for this. You were prepared for this. Look at you. You're in the palace. You're in the palace. God is going to use you. God is going to use you. Boy, I was thinking about this this whole week. We're telling you, God is going to use you. You're the age turners. You were born for this. You were bred for this. This is your time. 
This is your moment. But be careful. You might go, yeah, yeah. Moses went out. Yeah, I'm going to save God's people. And he killed an Egyptian. You might go out to preach the gospel and kill an Egyptian. I'm an age turner. And there's a dead body there. So you've got to hide it in the sand. Look this way, look that way. The next day, you go back out to, you know, he, he assumed everybody knew. You know, everybody knows who I am. I'm, I'm a Hebrew. I'm going to save Israel from Egypt. And he stops his brothers. They said, what are you going to do? Are you going to kill us like you killed the Egyptian yesterday? Uh-oh. He found out, oh, they know. Everybody knows. I thought I hid this guy in the sand. So he had to flee. Disappointed. Stripped. Defeated. He flees to the land of Midian. And he ends up spending the next 40 years tending sheep. Losing everything. Think about this. First 40 years, first stage of his life, getting the best education, going to the best schools, learning the highest wisdom, becoming eloquent, a good speaker, full of knowledge, full of gift, full of ability, leading armies. Oh, you think, that's, that's perfect. Lord, that's perfect. But you have to understand something. In God's economy, He doesn't use our natural strength, our natural ability, our natural capability. Rather, what He'll do is He'll bring us through many experiences to strip us, to empty us, to cause us to lose our confidence in the law, in ourselves, and to become fully dependent on Him. To educate someone is quite easy, but to empty a person is not that easy. Takes years. Burden I have tonight, young people, you have to realize it's one thing to be called by God to be an age turner. It's another it's another thing to be willing to pass through all the experiences that are required for you to become so useful to God. First forty years. He became something. The second forty years, he became nothing. At the end of the first 40 years, I can do this. By the end of the last, the second 40 years, I can't even take care of sheep. Somebody else's sheep. Not even my own sheep. I even have a failure at that. What happened to me? What happened to me? All is lost. That was the time. For God to come and call him and use him. You have to understand something about being an age turner. He needs you. He needs your, he needs your skill. He needs your knowledge. But he needs it in resurrection. Not in your capability. I just pray that you would all pass through this period very quickly. You would learn these lessons without delay.
Point three, Moses still needed the preparation on the spiritual side in the second 40 years. First, to have his natural ability dealt with so that it became an ability in resurrection. And then to learn to serve God according to God's leading and to trust in him. Moses was called by God. Every age turner is a person called by God. You know, all these these points, and you have to read the excerpts, but these points are so precious. A person who is called by God must see the vision of the burning thorn bush. That he is a thorn bush, a sinner under God's curse, with a fire burning within him, and that this fire is the triune God himself, the God of resurrection. As such, he is a vessel, a channel through which God can be manifested. Since you realize you're a thorn bush. You might think you're so attractive, so ability, so capable, so knowledgeable, so skillful. But during those 40 years, Moses learned, I'm nothing more than a thorn bush. Thorns came in due to the fall, the curse. That's the way we are. We're just cursed. But what called him was a voice out of the midst of a burning thorn bush that was burning and was not consumed. That means that the Lord wants to burn in you. You are a thorn bush, but there's a fire that wants to burn in you. He wants to live in you and burn you from within. He wants to be the fire within your being so that you learn how to serve Not by your natural strength, but by the fire, the fuel within your being. God's economy is fully portrayed in this picture of a burning thorn bush that was burning and was not consumed. If you are exhausted, that means you're burning with the wrong fuel. The Lord has come into us. He redeemed us. And now He can burn in the thorn bush and not consume the thorn bush. This was a sign to Moses that this was how Moses was going to serve him the rest of his life. And Moses learned it. He learned how to live by the fire, not live by his capability, his strength. A person who is called by God must know how to deal with the devil, the flesh, and the world as shown in the three signs of being called and sent by God. The rod became a serpent, too much. His hand became leprous, and the water became blood. You have to read this. A person, three, who is called by God must have a revelation of who God is and receive the revelation to build the tabernacle as Moses did. This is the most precious point. Moses got to know the God who was calling him. First it says it was the angel of Jehovah. And then it says Jehovah spoke. And then it says God spoke. He said, I'm the God of your fathers. Jehovah, the name Jehovah means this. He who was, he who is, and he who will be. Actually, the name of Jehovah is the verb to be. I am. I am. He is. 
Hebrews 11.6 says this, Without faith it is impossible to be well-pleasing to him. For he who believes that God is, he who comes forward to God must believe that he is, not that he is able. Of course he's able. Not that he is this, he is that. He just is. Even when everything's going wrong, he is. You prayed for victory, you got defeat. But God is. That's what Moses saw. In the beginning, a lot of miracles. Paul and Peter healing people. At the end, Paul's about to be martyred. You know, he had been in prison before. He'd gotten out. Now he's about to be martyred. He was not enjoying the God who is able to deliver. He was enjoying God who is. Whether you deliver me, you don't deliver me, you're still God. You're my God. Deliverance, getting me into that school doesn't prove that you're God. You are God. You just are. I wanted that, but I didn't get it. But you are. I'm not. You are. He said, I'm the God of your fathers. This means that implies history with God. This means I know you. And you know me. Let me ask you, how's your history with God? That relationship, that intimacy, that contact. Finally, he said, I am who I am. I am who I am. That's what you tell. I am. Whatever you need, I am. I am this. I am that. Go faster. Point C, some characteristics of Moses as an age turner. I really love these characteristics. We have to pray that each one of these characteristics would become ours. Moses was a man of God. Three times in the Old Testament, it mentions Moses, the man of God. Moses could have become an expert in all the Egyptian knowledge, but because he had been redeemed, called, sanctified, and transformed, instead, he eventually became a man of God. Number two, Moses, as a type of Christ, the Son of God, was faithful in all God's house. I want to read these verses from Numbers chapter 12. Moses was faithful in God's house. Look at the context of that word. Numbers 12, 6 through 8. He said, hear now my words. This is Jehovah speaking. If there's a prophet among you, I, Jehovah, will make myself known to him in a vision. I will speak with him in a dream. If it's a prophet, that's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to let him see a vision. I'll give him a dream. My servant Moses is not so. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak face to face, even openly, 
and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of Jehovah. Wow, what a resume. Don't you want that on your resume? He was faithful in all my house. How did he get faithful? God spoke to him face to face, mouth to mouth, eye to eye, transfusion. There was something going on there. You know what, brothers and sisters? Moses has nothing on us. Moses did not have the life-giving spirit. He didn't have the consummated spirit. We have a mingled spirit. Moses had something outward. We have the reality. We could be like this. We should be like this. How you would like to say, have him say this? You were faithful in all my house. But everybody else, I had to do miracles. I had to speak through this. I had to speak through that. But with him, oh, I could just tell him. I could just tell him. And he gets it. He understands it. Is that how you are with the Lord? Oh, this is an age turner. Moses was very meek and more uh, than anyone else who was on the face of the earth. Moses stood in the breach before Jehovah to turn away his wrath from destroying the children of Israel. You know, there's a story in Exodus 32 where Moses is up in the mountain getting the Ten Commandments. The children of Israel were down making a golden calf, worshiping it, calling it Jehovah, referring to it, offering sacrifices to it as Jehovah, the God who brought them out of the land of Egypt. So offensive to God. God says, leave me alone. I'm angry. I'm going to consume them and I will make of you a nation. Moses probably think, man, cool. Yeah, they're a stiff-necked people. Let's get rid of them, God. Yeah, I don't like them. <laughs> but you know what Moses did? You know, you know what Jehovah said to him? Jehovah said like this. It's like, it's like a couple, a husband and wife, arguing or fighting. It says this, and Jehovah spoke to Moses, go get down. For your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. Jehovah says, Moses, your people, you brought them up. I'm pointing this out to you because I want to impress you the kind of way that Jehovah and Moses conversed. Verse 10 is Exodus 32. And, and the Lord ends with this, Now, therefore, leave me alone. <laughs> leave me alone that my anger may burn against them, that I may consume them, and I will make you into a great nation. And Moses said this, And Moses entreated Jehovah his God and said, Jehovah, why does your anger burn against your people? whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with the mighty hand. I could just see this. You know, sometimes my wife and I would have this kind of a conversation when one of our children did something. Did you see what your son did? And they said, no, no, that's your son. 
This is like God and, and, and uh, Moses. But this is not the point. The point I want to tell you is this. He says, remember. Now, this is Moses talking to God. He says, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, your servants, to whom you swore by yourself. You already promised them. You can't do that. And then it goes on, verse 14. Thus Jehovah repented of the evil which he said he would do to his people. Think you could cause Jehovah to repent? What kind of a man is this? What kind of a relationship is this? What kind of a intimacy is this? All the age turners. They know the Lord like this. They converse like this. They can be brutally honest. They can open. They can say. You have to learn how to converse in fellowship with the Lord like this. This is Moses. Exodus 33.11 says, And Jehovah would speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his companion. Too precious. All right, 5 says, Moses was God's companion, a partner in God's great enterprise. Only a person like Moses, a person who knows God's heart and does everything according to God's heart, can be a companion of God, sharing a common interest with God and being used by God to carry out his enterprise on earth. Let's read Romans 4 all together. We need to realize that this is our golden time to be used by the Lord. The Lord needs us channels through which he can carry out his ourselves once again to the Lord for his eternal purpose. Before we end, I'd just like to say this. What we're presenting here in this week is not a movement. We're not here burdened to create any kind of excitement. Rather, it's just the opposite. We would much rather that something be sown deeply into your being, a calling of you that would affect you deeply. So I beg you tonight, open to this. God's age turners. Even tonight, before you go to bed, maybe you could kneel down and with a sober mind, you could just ask the Lord, Lord, would you make me one of these? Make me a Noah in this age. One who finds grace. One who builds the ark. One who preaches righteousness. Make me a Moses. One who was called in my youth, but passed through the entire process to be prepared by you. Oh, I would urge you, Strike a deal. Strike the holy bargain tonight. Don't let the Lord go and don't let this opportunity pass you by. The Lord is calling young people to be his age turners. This call needs a response.
The only way to respond, not by loud declarations, although those are good, but by serious, sober, thoughtful prayers to the Lord. Use me in this age, at this time, to end the age. I'll let you read the focus on your own time, maybe tonight. But please, in your groups, have a time to pray, have a time to fellowship, touch something of the Lord's heart and His need today for men who turn the age.